And welcome to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. And if you guys need a special battery, whether it's a regular battery or uh, something special that's very rare and hard to find, stop by your local Interstate Battery retail location and talk with a battery expert. These guys are very knowledgeable in the products that they sell and they can get you what you want, when you want it, whether it's a truck battery, whether it's a special battery for like a rangefinder or trail camera batteries, any type of battery, these guys are able to get it for you. So stop into a uh, interstate battery retail location, talk with a specialist, or if you want to learn about the culture, the company of interstate batteries, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. What's going on, everybody? We have got a special little podcast for you guys. Another one that um, is going to be a little bit bit of background noise, potentially, as we're traveling down the road. And I say we. Matt is here. Frank? Frank, yeah, I'm here. Frank, the man, is here with me. Yes, I am. Yes, thanks for for bringing me along, Matt. Absolutely. Um, It's a great chance to do a uh, whitetail and wild turkey-centered plan um yeah and um always excited to do plans like this i you know if i wasn't a quail biologist i would have been a turkey biologist i, I tell people that because i love wild turkeys yep uh, i'm a white-tailed deer hunter i've managed white-tailed deer for a long time <clears throat> on on the public land that i manage you know sure. it's, it's you know quail is my focus but a lot of that comes you know white tails fall right in there so i've, oh, I've yeah. had a lot of experience with that so i i, I enjoy being able to do these these types of consults with you so I can 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 use the knowledge that I have but also you know bone up on it too you you and Kyle a lot of people don't necessarily know this and they're going to start hearing it more and more but you guys are like Swiss army knives let's say yeah your 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 tools I don't I mean, <laughs> oh that was awesome like that, that was so perfect <laughs> That, I meant that in the nicest oh, way possible. Oh, that was possible. great. Yes. <laughs> you took it elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Uh, he'll hear that. Sorry, Kyle. But I, yeah. what I mean is that you guys ha- are like multidimensional. That, yeah. You have many facets of skills and knowledge that you can then apply to the landscape for the betterment of various wildlife species. So That's right. Yeah. So you're a Swiss Army knife <laughs> tool. That's a uh, yeah. I'm glad you. I'm glad you. <laughs> Re-explain myself. Uh, yeah, there. I'm glad you you straightened that out a little bit because uh, you know that could have been taken. It, it certainly applies to Kyle, and I call it. I call in that all the time, all the time. So he knows. But it. Yeah. Yeah. It so, wasn't anything new. Yeah. So we have, you know, we have managed a wide variety of wildlife, and and white-tailed deer are super important for. Um, a, a, a lot of the properties that we manage, mm-hmm. um, people want. To deer hunt them yeah. and they deer hunting is, is something that, that the public loves to do um, such a driver yeah it really is so you know we we do manage for white-tailed deer um you know ancillary to our quail men but also mm-hmm. but also we actually do some white some white-tail centric management on some of the properties so um to be able to come out and, and do these these types of consults i always enjoy that because it it allows me to kind of step up my game a little bit to come out with somebody like you that that this is really oh, your, your world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is really, you bought me a, a vanilla milkshake, so I got to say good things. I you up for yeah. the podcast. Yeah, I'll <laughs> say anything for vanilla milkshake. <laughs> so I think I think that that only, on your, your, your let's say your knowledge and, and whatever is going to shine through and be showcased here um, as we talk about, a, a, a property that we just came from. We're on the way back. It's it's May twenty second, yeah. I believe. So mm-hmm. so late into May, um, things are in full on growing season mode. Absolutely. And um, we were in southeastern Kansas today. Yep. Beautiful location. 
a 120-acre property, and we got lucky as we were driving out here. We were driving through thunder, lightning, everything this morning, it was, 7 o'clock in the morning. It was intense. It yeah. was pretty intense, and we were watching the radar saying, it's going to be wet. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you texted me first thing this morning, like, dude, you might want to bring some extra clothes. And so I did. And I brought I brought my muck boots. Oh, I know, right? I know exactly where this is going. I brought Here my we muck go. boots. Yeah. Because I figured that it would be wet. We'd be walking in some wet grass, of course, probably cross a wet creek or two. So, so I was I, I would need to have muck boots. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that I brought. And um, it turned out they were they were a lifesaver. And you know, I I don't I don't know. Did yours did yours work out as well as mine did? Or, <coughs> so or not? I don't. Remember. I was so busy playing dad and reminding you to bring extra clothes. Oh, oh, okay. That I I had forgotten my muck boots at the house. Mm. Be and and coffee was also important at five thirty this morning, and so I had set them out last night and just in my haste. I had forgotten. So my you somehow boots. turned out turned that around to be my fault because well, absolutely. You, okay. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and Great. and as we're driving back in the beautiful sun, because it it did not rain at all. No, it didn't. Like, rain. I mean, sun came it out. It was a great day. Beautiful day. Humid, of course, after the storms, mm-hmm. but sun was shining. Um, you forgot your sunglasses, and I'm very pleasantly driving in the bright sun yeah. with my sunglasses. Yeah. So yeah. I, we know what we we're not perfect. No, we're not. We're not. I figured, why would I bring my sunglasses? It's going to rain all day. Plus, I would leave them in your truck. Anyway, if I brought them, so I you just, just you just forgot them like me. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, but at least we're going east. We're going east, and it turned out to be a fan, fantastic consultation with um, two individuals who could not be any more hospitable. Um, have an amazing mindset for property land ownership. Um, they're non-resident landowners on this piece and kind of a cool backstory on this property itself and how they came to become, I guess, become owners of the property is they actually contacted uh, Land and Legacy and said, hey, we're, we are interested in finding the right piece of property for us to be able to purchase. And so Adam and I helped um, and referred them to an agent and worked with them through the steps of researching properties, going through, oh gosh, I don't know how many emails back and forth, but numerous ones as we're weeding them out, uh, evaluating them together, essentially, and found them this property, um, and then the back and forth communication of, of the on-site uh, visit as the sun came out and kind of toured it, um, but essentially... They were able to close on the property, did that back in uh, late December, January time frame. And now we scheduled a consultation with them to be able to take that property and say, after the evaluation, getting it under contract, closing it, here are the next steps to take this good property and make it great. Here's yeah. here's some awesome, awesome features um, on it that or or pros that this property has um, but how do we take those pros and address some of the the features that are missing but then make those those pros that much better and I think after seeing it today and walking it with you and and the 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 two owners the father and son I think that um, the the plan that we've got at this point is going to do that and, and make the property hunt much larger and make the property hunt and be way more usable for a lot of different wildlife species. And and as we will go through this kind of plan and process and kind of paint the picture of what the property is currently and then what it will be, it'll make a lot of sense to everyone who's listening um, as well, because this, this is like a typical, if you will, Kansas scene. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think it's very common what you what you'll find. Um, 
but essentially what it is it's 120 acres of old abandoned pasture and there are two creek systems Mm -hmm. one that flows directly like north and south and then one that comes in from the northeast and kind of ties in with the other about the center of the property they connect up and then continue um, the flow south out of the center of the property the property is roughly an l-shaped and so it it sits up well got road access on the west side um, there's not a great internal road system, but that can that could be something that will be addressed. Um, but essentially, when when we're talking, it's kind of like the the quintessential Kansas layout. I, mean, I shouldn't say layout. I guess I should say um, a property from a species standpoint and from a corridor standpoint. Man, this is this is a lot of what you're hunting. You're hunting big corridors in Kansas that have got timber draws because a lot of mm-hmm. other things are either uh, native pastures or they are non-native pastures yeah, or potentially right. um, crop fields. Right. Yeah, so so a little bit of back up and, and context this this property. And, and Kansas is, is a great state in terms of, of, of wildlife and hunting. I, mm-hmm. I think I think most of the listeners know, you know, Kansas is one of those top top states to go to for for whitetails, for for pheasants, upland game, turkeys. You know, even though the population is kind of on the decline, it still has good turkey hunting, um, bob white hunting. But it's it's such a diverse state. So we went on a consult back in January, early January. Uh, it was a whitetail and upland consult, but completely ag and CRP focused, right? Yes. There was no timber. We were in the high plains of western Kansas. This sits sort of on the eastern, southeastern side of the Flint Hills. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of native pasture around, but there's these great riparian corridors that come through. And some of them are, are you know, bur oak and, and, and these it's that classic bur oak sort of riparian gallery forest you think of. But others, and the one we were on today, had a lot of hackberry and elm, sycamore, walnut, cottonwood. So it kind of paint that picture. It was there was not much ag around, yep. so it was either native Flint Hills pasture, or um, and, and this property had some old terraces on it. So way back when, probably in the 40s and 50s, it was farmed at some yes. point. Yes. So there were some terraces, but over time, those fields that had been in in agricultural production eventually succeeded into to hedge and cedar and elm and so and the vegetative and diversity fescue, yeah, fescue the vegetative diversity at ground level wasn't great but there were some key indicators that were pretty cool that Absolutely. if we, we remove some of this invasive that, that we could get some of that back but but it was it was sort of that context of of this of this classic flint hills landscape um, and the really cool thing about this property is it had a lot of cover on the south side of the property, on the mm-hmm. neighbors, there wasn't a ton of cover. North of them, there wasn't a ton of cover. So this sort of had, and like Matt said, it had two creeks coming in. This sort of looked like a great destination place as, as being some, some great cover for deer that there wasn't really a lot of around the area, within, the, within a square mile around the area. Yeah, within a, within a square mile, there was very little adequate cover for a lot of different wildlife species what it what it certainly seemed like and then and then from an aerial and then when you got there it was definitely um confirmed as we were driving around the the neighborhood and seeing the different wood blocks or or just how small they were um but this this definitely was let's say a the heartbeat of the area and it was going to hold rook and this is the important thing i want there's two things i want to guess address before moving on but regardless and this, I think, the, the, the pitfall of where, honestly, a lot of people tend to get into is regardless of what the species were necessarily that were growing on this site, this 120 acres, the way it laid and the lack of cover, so the lack of good habitat, let's say, around this for deer specifically, the lack of that around this property despite the um, species that we talked about, the hedge, the cedar, um, the black, the honey locusts, um, the elm, those weren't the most preferred that we would have wanted to see on a site. But this site was going to hunt and hold deer regardless of that. Right. Like, 
someone could go there this fall, not do any management, hunt those corridors, and probably be very successful right. and have lots of deer encounters. I, I would not be surprised at all if, if they shoot 150-inch deer or better. I, that, that would not shock me one no, bit. Where they're, at, where they're located in the world, yes, absolutely that could happen, yes. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's really not, the it's only game in question. town. No, yeah. no, no, no. And, no. So, so, again, like even like going through pictures online, mm-hmm. going through um, you know, trail camera images, the aerial photos, it was like, that's going to be a good property. Or, or it would hunt fine now, mm-hmm. but, again, with their wishes and their goals, they're very clear and said, we want to make it great, and we understand that it may take time, and it's going to take developing it and we may have to take you know two steps back to take some forward based on what's here but we want to do it right and so i i definitely tip my hat to that standpoint because again they could go there the two of them could hunt this year probably both take good deer have some incredible hunts and and be happy but they said i want to make it better and so that's what we were there to do today to address is this is this course of, let's say, vegetation suite of species that are growing on this 120 acres isn't, isn't great. It's, it's, not, it's not the most desirable stuff that we could ever want or we would paint to have on this 120 acres. Yeah. But we can change it. Yeah. And we can do it very strategically. But the other thing I do want to I guess, go back to, and it's a fantastic point that you made. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Which, yeah, Nate, out of all <laughs> the ones I've made, Matt, <laughs> Which please one? tell me. Yeah, come on, be more specific. <laughs> the terraces. Yes, yes. A lot of people would have seen that and, and maybe not stopped and paused to think about it. 1940, 1950, this was agricultural production. You indicated this was a sh- very strong Milo area yeah, right. in Kansas during that time frame. Right. These were crop fields. And 1950, and and now they're not. We're talking. This is the most cover in a given area. We're talking 30 foot tall hedge, 20 foot tall, 25 foot tall cedar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's elm everywhere, and they're probably 25 to 30 foot tall as well. And, and that's what's grown back since. And then a, a big understory of buckbrush and um, fescue. Right, right. And so things change, everybody. <laughs> like, the world doesn't stand still, and Mother Nature doesn't either. It's going to cover itself from yep. or revert back to um, successional plants. And here in Kansas, a lot of those successional plants, of course, hedge, eastern yeah. red cedar. Right. It, it, it's typical. When, yep. Whenever you get there, you're like, aha, yeah. I know exactly yeah. what happened here. And, and the transformation and the stage that this site is in now, you, you, when we were talking about it, when we were walking around, it's like playing forensics out yeah. here. Say like, oh, this happened, then then this happened. Right. Now right. that's why we're seeing this. And that was probably 10 years ago. And then the crops thing was probably 70 years ago. Like It's just you've got to put all the puzzle pieces together to then know, well, when I recommend to cut all the hedge and cut the cedar and do these different things, then we know what's going to come back yeah. or we have a pretty dang good idea. Right. Right. And, and that was, and that was important to, to, to understand and seeing those terraces. So as we were walking through there, we were kind of talking amongst ourselves and with, with the landowners and two gentlemen just couldn't be any nicer. Just, yeah, just wonderful people. Um, and, and we were talking about what, if, if they got rid of the fescue, if they got rid of the, the, the tree species that were undesirable, what could we expect to come back? And we kind of kicked that around. But then when we saw those terraces, we thought, okay, well, a lot of the native desirable vegetation that we would want to come back are conservative native forbs or, excuse me, warm season grasses probably have been farmed out yes. of that landscape or farmed out of not not just that landscape but that particular that field site. that yep. site that unit that we were in another great example of, of probably because and, and it was as we walked through there and we saw some disturbed sites we weren't seeing those characteristic plants that mm-hmm. we would expect to see of a, of a kansas prairie indicator plants right indicator species now 
we got this afternoon, we went on, an, on another piece of that same property. We got up on a hill that was obviously a drier site. It was rockier, so it hadn't been plowed. We started finding indigo. We nope. found lead plant, which is my all-time favorite plant and a very, very great indicator of, of a, a fairly prairie. of a prairie or an open woodland or, yep. or a fairly undisturbed site. Yep. We started picking up little blue stem, big blue. We started picking up these more characteristic plants. So we knew, okay, this site will probably respond very well and much differently than the, than the farm to site. So our, the way we would attack that, that site in terms of, of herbicide application or, or whatever might be different because mm-hmm. of the conservative plants that were there and the, and the remnant prairie stuff versus a site that had been farmed repeatedly and we basically just need to start over. Yes. Um, so it's cool to know that back history if you can find it based on aerial photos or based on talking to neighbors or whatever. Or, or just your your knowledge of the region right. specifically, having yep. working here for for many years, living in, in different regions and just knowing the yeah. Flint Hills. Yeah. So I was a yeah, I spent several years in grad school and then and then also working out here in the Flint Hills. So I was very familiar with the area. Um, but also looking for those looking for those key indicators like yep. terraces or old homesteads or old rock fences, yes. something that would indicate that, boy, this has been used in a, in a different way at some yes. point. Absolutely. And that will give you an idea of what to expect. Because if, if we went in there and we, it, we mean, told the landowners, hey, spray this out and you'll probably get native prairie, and it doesn't happen, they're like, uh, wait, guys. Yeah, you told us, I'm like, oh. Native well, prairie? Sorry. You have to, and, and that's why site-specific consultation is so important. Because from an area, you couldn't tell that. And, and, and when we're talking about terraces, like, over time, obviously, they're not like a terrace in a, in a, in a crop field right now. Like, they're very, I want to say, say necessarily eroded, but they're not very distinct unless you're looking for it. Well, yeah, there's trees growing all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's trees. There's, I mean, it, it's, it's drastically changed. And so, but you have to be, you have to be accurate and you have to be, um, cognizant of that, those features, and be looking for them when you start making these recommendations of how to manipulate the habitat. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like you said, if if you go in there and you start to treat this like, oh, I'm getting prairie back, it's the fantastic thing, you're going to be wildly disappointed. Yeah, right. And and you're going to think that you're doing something wrong. Where in 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 reality, that's the site itself. It never was able to do that because of previous landowners and previous actions that were taken on that site that's right. it's not you it it's it's what happened it's what occurred that's right so you have to look for those and and that to that level of detail will totally change how we recommend and how we lay out the property right yeah based on what happened 70 years ago yeah yeah that's right so so in a, in a situation like like that on the site that was was more prairie site you know we would recommend getting rid of the tall fescue treating there were some isolated cerecia lespedeza patches treating that but just managing what comes back which is probably going to be really good native stuff managing that with periodic fire controlling the, the sprouts maybe getting some good shrubs that we would like to see there was some plum thickets there there was some dogwood sprouts in places so sort of encouraging that type of growth Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but on the other site where it was that previously farm site where we were probably going to get more old field early successional then we might recommend a different course of management certainly get rid of the fescue yep but managing it more as an old field early successional vegetation that we aren't afraid to go in and do some ground disturbance if we wanted Mm -hmm. to strip disc it or whatever Mm -hmm. whereas on the more undisturbed prairie site we probably wouldn't recommend strip disking we probably would recommend fire and 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 some other things where we're not going to disturb the soil right Um, so knowing that gives us an idea of what we can recommend to the landowner and then what what that landowner can can expect and kind of a a game plan of, of how to how to approach it and how to lay out their resources going forward what am i going to need for for which site Absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a great explanation of okay, 
taking inventory and then laying out the recommendations based on the specifics of what we saw or what we know will happen, having knowledge of, okay, this disturbance will create this in these conditions. And in these conditions, we will get this back, most likely. Yeah. Um, so that, that totally helps and is all part of the game. Again, it's, it's I, I think that a lot of times, it, I don't want to say consultation in general, but it's like, when you're trying to lay out a big buck kill in place, who thinks of that? Like, yeah. who? <laughs> right. Terraces? Yes. Come on, guys. Like, what? Does that really play into it? Absolutely. If, if, you are, if you are trying to manage the landscape and manage the plant communities and the response that you want to promote big deer, quail, mm-hmm. brooding cover, all these things, you have to, pl- you have to use that to your not uh, to to your advantage and, and know exactly what's going to happen because if not you're just going to spin wheels and spin wheels and spin wheels and it's going to be frustrating more yeah. than anything. Yeah, that's right. I mean, after all, we are dealing with native the, the the species that we want to kill are native um species and if we can promote native response native vegetation response to the extent possible we're just going to benefit these species that that we want to 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 benefit. White-tailed deer, wild turkey, quail. It was cool. We heard the Bob White whistling. He had yep. seen the the landowner had had seen a covey the previous December. Quail weren't on the top of their list. Certainly, they would probably be happy to have a covey or two of birds sure. um, at some point. Maybe hunt those birds if if, a, if they all the work that they're doing expands the the population. But just being able to hear Bob White or a covey calling on a November morning, you know, was probably going to be pretty special to them. Um, and the work that we're going to recommend for whitetails, quail are going to piggyback on that and do well too. And they were already, um, I, I'm ex- I was excited about the wild turkey potential. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. as, as a turkey yes. hunter and somebody that, that really, you know, really loves wild turkey hunting um, and, and, and knowing how turkeys are, are struggling and have been struggling the last you know, the last decade or so in, in, in much of the country, um, to, to see this property, know the turkeys were up there high on their list, but it was set up great from a, a roosting tree perspective. They had mm. some killer sycamores, dogwood, these ginormous roosting trees that, that looked awesome. They had, and so you could you can identify those. It was cool to talk to them about identifying, okay, could we put in a, a spot here where, Maybe hens would come and, and, and feed in the morning and gobblers would, would come and strut. We can kind of lay those things out. It was, it was cool to be able to, to, to approach it from that perspective, but also talk to them about the importance of great brood habitat. Yes, yes. Um, because we've got to get them. We've got to get them from the, from the egg to be able to, to hunt them. And that critical bottleneck is, is brood rearing. And we've talked about it so much. Um, but it's, it was important to be able to talk to them about that. And the brood cover that we're going to create for turkeys, or let me step back, the early successional good whitetail habitat that we're going to create mm-hmm. or that he's going to, or that they're going to create through some of the practices that we recommend are going to be killer brood habitat for, yes. for turkeys. And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I love is to be able to tie all those together and, and just say, well, the manage that we're doing it's just whitetails only and nothing else will benefit. That That's not the way to approach this. Correct. To approach it from a holistic standpoint where we're going to benefit whitetails, but your turkeys will probably benefit. And along may come a covey quail that will benefit, which is, which I think is, is how we should be approaching land management across and, the country. And their, their objectives and their goals all aligned with all of that. I mean, they were going to see quail hopefully I don't want to say boom, but increase in population. And they're going to take that and say, yes, we did that. Yep. Like that's a success for them, even though they might not even hunt them. Um, they're, they're going to use that as an indicator of good quality habitat being, being in place. And Absolutely. anybody and everybody should too. Um, so that that aspect of it is, is really, really fun and, and cool to think about. So as we get back like to the to the property itself, I want everyone to kind of imagine like a Y. We got two creek systems that come together similar to a Y, 
right in the center of this property along the buffer riparian area. I would say roughly on either side of the flowing creek, the flowing water. And sometimes it was like 15 yards on out to 30, 40 yards on either side of these flowing water, mm -hmm. right? So they weren't incredibly large but uh, or incredibly wide, but that's where the majority of the older growth timber was. Mm -hmm. It was predominantly, like you said, uh, sycamore, a couple cottonwoods, walnut, larger elm, mm -hmm. and hackberry. Yep. And there, we, we saw two oaks on the entire property. Right, yeah. Um, so that's a, a, essentially what those two um, corridors were comprised of and a lot of uh, cool season grasses underneath of them mixed with some buckbrush, uh, giant ragweed, the typical stuff that you're going to see in, mm -hmm. in Kansas bottomland. Mm -hmm. um, so, so when you think about it, what was the rest of all the fields or the rest of the property outside of those areas? It was what we've been talking about, overgrown fields, mm -hmm. long ways down the road, but it was comprised of cedar, um, hedge, Osage Orange, Bodark, whatever you want to call them, um, the elms, and a couple mulberry, and then the fescue underneath. So essentially, that's what the property was. Mm -hmm. Right now, again, going back to the whole corridor aspect of it, the deer is going to be running that creek. Right. Yeah. And, and it's the only cover, so it's going to be holding deer. But what's from a, from a whitetail and a, and a hunting strategy standpoint, what we had to do is look at the overall, the, the macro view of the area and say, okay, here are some major corridors, but how do we take deer that are right now only moving primarily north and south through the property? How do we make them use this property even more? So we're, we need to increase the usable space. We mm -hmm. need to change the suite of species that are there or manage them better um, by cutting and herbicide and all this stuff and prescribed fire. But then... How do we make the deer, instead of just traveling primarily north and south, how do we do more east to west traffic on the property and almost accent what is existing there? And I think this is important when we go back to talking about the terraces as well from the farming side of things. Because those are the primary corridors, the creek system. But in addition, and you really had to look closely on a map and really put the boots on the ground to, mm -hmm. to ground truth it. But once you were there and it was so, it was getting to that point of like, there was so much regrowth, uh, a woody regrowth in the field. You couldn't tell really clearly on an aerial photo, but there were some distinct more linear east to west old hedgerows mm -hmm. that were growing or, or, or bottlenecks, a, a couple very minor drainages. Right on the property that flowed into the larger Y that flowed east and west. But again, quick glance at the map, you don't pick them up. That Your eye is not drawn to them from a corridor standpoint That's because right. of the other growth that has occurred in the field. Um, and it just, it like clogs it up. Yeah, and, and, and that was a good point is is, is those, cor those little corridors were there, but... The cool thing about it is, is deer were probably using them, but they could also use a, a lot of the field in general mm -hmm. because it had decent cover that they could, good screening cover, right? Yes. They didn't have to stick to that corridor. Anymore. Any, right. any more yep. than they did. But you could accent that corridor and really make it hunt better mm -hmm. by I identifying, okay, this is probably where my corridor is. Let's remove a bunch of the scattered trees around it to force them to use that corridor more yeah. to really bring out its usefulness or enhance it to make it a really good bottleneck corridor. But the, but as you mentioned, you couldn't, we really couldn't see that from the air. We had to get on the ground and we had a lot of those aha moments as we mm -hmm. stood there and like, Oh wait, wait a minute. That's this look, yes. That okay. over there. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, and that's, that's the cool thing about, and and the super necessary. I'm having a hard time speak. Um, reason for getting out there, boots on the ground, mm -hmm. right? If we would have just walked the perimeter, oh, it would have been missed e it. Yeah, we would have missed it, and it would have been easier to walk the perimeter. Most of the perimeter had some had some 
cleared out spots where it was easier walking. Someone had taken a dozer when they, yep. were, they put cattle on there and dozed the, the fence rows so they could maintain them. That would have been super easy yeah. to have done that. Yeah, but we would have missed so much yes. of the property. So it was really critical to get in there and just kind of go back and forth, grid it, you know, really look at it as much as, as we could. I mean, I feel very confident that 120 acres, we saw easy 85 percent of that oh, thing yeah. today yeah that yeah absolutely. i mean we right. walked and crisscrossed and walked you walked in nice rubber boots yeah in a lot of wet areas we and I probably didn't. could have seen more if you'd had good boots on <laughs> what are you talking i did not i i did good we, with yeah, what i had yeah yeah you did i did good did. yeah nope. i kept up dad didn't <laughs> i <laughs> yeah yeah you did it was it was um it was it was a cool piece of ground and and the cool thing is is um the the landowners they they had listened to you guys enough and talked to you guys enough they'd went in and done some done yeah. some work yeah, yeah. before yeah. we got there and were doing the right things yes, they, were they were doing the right things and they were super excited i mean it's they brought their chainsaws with them and mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's going to be warm in kansas tomorrow and it's going to be even higher humidity and they're going to get out and cut yes. elm, and, yep. and that's great. I mean, they're excited yeah. about it. And and we saw today, example after example after example, of the browsing potential that elm yeah. have if it's at the right height. Right, and deer have hammered it. Yes, hammered yes. it. Yes, incredible. Yep, yeah. It was a and and it was neat because we were walking along there, and there was a certain flea bane. I guess it mm-hmm. was. Yep. The, the deer were just every flea bane that we came across had been browsed it was it was tough it was tough for us to identify yeah. what it was because they had been browsed so hard yeah and it that was that was cool and, and what was extra nice about that is we were able to show the landowners look here this is a native plant mm-hmm. and deer are hammering it you know let's 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 get more of this on the landscape let's let's encourage this you don't need uh, a food plot all the time for forage i mean these deer are doing well on these look look how they're browsing these elm let's take this tall elm put it at ground level create screening cover let it re-sprout and then you've got winter browse absolutely and it was then you could really see the potential of what this farm could be because i like like, okay we've got a ton of elm that we can do this with we can really create awesome browse for these these deer that Anywhere else within that square mile, they're not getting. They don't have that. They don't have Period. It. Nope. So that farm is the only place where they're going to have that browse available. I guarantee you they will suck in deer because of oh, it. Oh, man. Wintertime, absolutely. When they have more ground cover um, through the different practices of, of removing cool season grass, opening up back up the canopy, removing hedge, removing cedar, cutting those, and letting succession appropriate earlier succession take place because what we saw today was succession yeah it was just at a very very far advanced stage that right. it had outgrown um much of the 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 suite of species that we want to see i mean we were way 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 down the road um of where we wanted to be from a successional standpoint but we just need to go back and reset all of that we do that differently through chainsaws we do that through herbicide we do that through fire and, and, and it just is a never-ending revolving um kind of door of these practices um from phase one to two to three that we're going to develop for them to get it back there but going back to those those corridors we address all those would be want to be open areas and we have now very distinct corridors running north and south and and multiple on the property running east and west that revealed themselves as we were walking around now instead of just experiencing what is likely simply north and south movement on the farm they're totally going to get deer more so moving east and west using a lot more of the property than hugging just close to the corridor itself because that corridor again when the when the rut's happening deer from miles around are going to be traveling through that property Mm -hmm. that's just what they do out here 
bigger ranges, and they're covering. And they would typically, if the cover is poor outside of that corridor, only be sticking to the corridor mm -hmm. like it is right now. Yep. However, if we increase the cover outside of the corridor, as at the corridor as the creek corridor, and then promote other additional corridors, east and west, now we have one additional places to go and hunt on additional winds and additional places to concentrate deer down and move them through the property strategically. A couple of well-placed food plots, 120 acres, there probably is going to be three food plots, mm -hmm. roughly mm -hmm. maybe, maybe four, but probably three food plots, acre and a half or so on each. I'm just roughing it here. Right. But really the remainder of the property trying to get back to native and the, the and the native species that are, will be promoted there are going to have incredible cover incredible forage opportunities there's not going to be anywhere in a great wide so let's say circumference around this property that will have cover or food like that one does at any point in season no when this thing is said and done that's right yeah and it's incredibly powerful to have 120 acres that you can devote to that in a setting in Kansas like this. Wow. If yeah. you can go ahead and next year and kill 150 inch deer just cause you're there and hunting, what the heck is going to happen years down the road when you have better groceries, when you're holding them more, you're attracting more deer. It's who knows? Yeah. Who, who really does know? But I know when they're traveling in and coming to hunt the second week of November and you have all that cover, you have all that woody browse, some strategic food plots and strategically enhanced corridor and movement on that property, you're going to have a ton of deer and you're going to have a ton of deer moving during daylight hours. That's right. You're going to own right. it. Yeah. Conditions that may make me put down my shotgun for a week and bow hunt right <laughs> wow that's that saying something that's saying something jeez frank <laughs> i never yeah. thought i'd hear that well there you go there you go and you know stepping back and talking about about these two gentlemen um one of the things that that they had were doing and i think a lot of the listeners can can really take this to heart i hope is they came into this community and they were going to start trying to make friends. Mm -hmm. They were trying to meet their neighbors. They were going to the local farm supply, introducing themselves, looking at local contractors to hire to help them. You know, they were going to put in a gate. So they went to, you know, they were they were making friends with the local, you know, folks at the farm supply store or the with the welding shop or whatever, um, getting to know their neighbors. That is that is powerful. Very that is, important. You know. They they are coming in from from outside of the state and and could be looked upon maybe as you know like hey here who are these people coming in in this area to hunt you know or buy land, but they were going to make they were going to make neighbors and they were going to make make friends and and um, and I think that's super powerful and one of the the, the things that we talk to them about is is prescribed fire their mm -hmm. their property is 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 going to be in need of prescribed fire just for the the benefits of what it does to the, to the cover but to also to control some of the woody sprouts that are going to inevitably come back um, but they are in a landscape where there is fire pretty much all around them every spring they're right in the heart yeah. of the flint hills i mean burn like non-stop yeah yeah too I mean, much <laughs> yeah actually too much really from a from a wildlife perspective but um, a lot of the range area around their property had been burned and you can tell when we got to the property line that their neighbors had to stop the fire at their fence yes. because they they didn't their neighbors didn't want them to get to let the fire get off of their property. Um, so if they can make these contacts and say, "Hey, you know, you neighbor A, you don't necessarily have to stop your fire at your fence. Just let it creep over on me. I've got a good fire break at this creek." That gets their property burned at no cost to them. That makes it easier on their neighbor because their neighbor doesn't have to maintain a fire break at, at yep. his or her fence. He can just let it creep into a natural fire break. And that's a powerful way to build. Which, which was very natural. Yes. Very, very natural. <laughs> way back when, when fire was naturally occurring on the landscape. Yeah. That's where it would have stopped. Yes. Is at that creek. Unless it was a, a, a roaring 
red flag <laughs> fire and then all yeah. you know but anyway that that was a great way to make to make neighbors to make friends and and to get some habitat work done on their property so we okay. talked to them about that yeah. and they thought yeah if that if we can do that let's do it i mean and could so, you imagine the scheduling nightmare that you would have to do if you're if you're flying in or driving 10 plus hours to try no, and burn i mean that, no. that's like that's not even realistic no. see our our burns change by the hour sometimes Absolutely. we have a day that oh we're going to get out and we're going to burn this unit to tomorrow oh we got too and much we, cloud cover we get there in. yeah like we get there ready to go and uh, humidity shot up well mm-hmm. we're done so even it's it's even hard to plan on it on a daily hourly by hourly basis yep. but if you've got neighbors that are burning around you um, hey, sir, let it just creep past yep. past your little fire break two-track road here. Yep. Let it go down to my creek. Yep. And I don't have to pay for it. And I can meet a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I can develop that relationship. And he can watch after the property. Essentially, when I'm gone, hey, yep. win-win. Yeah, Are you and, kidding me? Yeah, and they were approaching it right. Yes. They were approaching it at, at, yes. at a great manner by trying to make friends and trying to be a part of the community um, this local small community trying to, to become a part of it. And, yeah. and and that's a great way to go about it. Yeah, I'm totally jazzed up about the, the potential um, for this property. It's not going to happen overnight. I know that. They know that. But the, the course of action, the plan that will be put together, is going to address a ton of different features on the property give a really clear roadmap to what it is they need to do, how they need to manage it, then maintain it, and what's going to be there and how to hunt it essentially at the end of it. And that's exciting. I know that they're um, pretty pumped up about it too, and they're okay with it being a while. Yep. And I think going into management, land management especially, you don't, you don't work in weeks, you don't work in days, you work by growing seasons. And that's important to keep in mind because five years, that's five growing seasons. It takes a while to develop this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to keep that in mind. It's, it's not overnight, but uh, they have a really solid mindset, great work ethic, incredible manner to be coming into a new area. And um, I hope they're super successful on this place. Well, I, I think, think they, they will. will be. I think they I will do. be because they have the right attitude. Mm-hmm. They're approaching it. With the right attitude, as you mentioned, they know it's going to take time, but they're in it. They're in it for the long haul. They're yeah. in it to make to make connections with the local community, to make connections with their neighbors, and and to to have it be a part of the legacy yeah. of their family. And mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's ultimately, you know, I, I think a very important part of land ownership. Really, incredibly yeah. important. Not talked about enough. Anything else, Frank, from a habitat standpoint? Um, that you want to address. I know we kind of went through this one uh, rather quickly, um, but huntability, I know, is to drastically increase when this thing is all said and done. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it'd be super easy for a lot of people outside looking in to say, "Oh, I'm just going to hunt there and we'll be good." But we can't look at land like that. No, we we can't we can't just say "good enough," thumbs up, when yeah. really that property. And this is not at all putting, you know, uh, any any shame or mark on the property at all. But it was struggling from a wildlife side. It had a lot of missing components. Doesn't mean it can't get there and it won't get there. But but from a, a true restoration, top quality property as it sits, it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. But you could still be successful. But don't let that occasional good, decent hunt fool you when you're out there evalu- evaluating your own property and thinking that, oh, it's, it's, it's fine, it's good, I, I can go out m- maybe 150-inch deer. Um, why, I, I guess I guess I'll say, wh- why are you satisfied with that? Because yeah. okay, it's probably they could get bigger, or maybe you could see more, or, or maybe you could impact the wild turkeys better on yeah, your place. Right, maybe right. you could impact the, the quail that are there on your place. Maybe you could make a bigger difference for them too. Yeah, and, and I, that's one of the things that I think I think these these gentlemen can do is is they can they could probably, as you said, go out and have a great hunt and probably see deer. But but the way we can help them set it up. And, and, and the way that the stuff that we talked about, 
they could have a better quality hunt mm -hmm. where they can see, even if they don't harvest a 150-inch deer that morning, maybe they see five, you know, bucks, non-shooter bucks come through, you know, because we've got it, because they, we were able to help them design travel corridors mm -hmm. and feeding areas and bedding areas where they see more deer. And I know as, as, a, as a deer hunter that hunts primarily during the rifle season and primarily with, with my son, mm -hmm. is just going out and seeing deer <laughs> yeah. can make the difference oh, between yeah. a, a, a hunt that we talk about and, and one that we're just like, yeah, we went hunting and we saw a few squirrels. You yeah. know, even if we don't shoot anything, if we can talk about the deer that we saw. And, and I think that's important. And even if just being able to set it up in a way that they can see more deer predictably, even if it's not a shooter that particular morning, they can sure talk about that and think, mm -hmm. hey, man, look what I saw. Or, mm -hmm. you know, this is cool. That buck's going to be something next year, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I totally agree. I'm I'm. I'm excited for them. I think they're going to they're gonna take it and run with them. And um, appreciate everybody listening. And if you have questions on consulting, please go to the uh, LandonLegacy.tv uh, website. Click on the consultation tab and send us an email through um, that tab. We'd be happy to, to work with you. Um, Kyle, Frank, Adam, myself. And we're, this is this is what we're passionate about. Yes. This is what gets us very excited, and um, be happy to to meet with you, talk with you. Um, but appreciate everyone listening. Hopefully, you guys learned something and can take take something away from this podcast, apply it to your property, make an improvement. Um, this is going to be probably late May, early June. Listening, so. We're not out of the woods when it comes to habitat management. You like what I did right there? We're that not, was great. Out I was, of the woods. We're, I, gosh, I, mean, I didn't have, even plan that. You have got a way with words. You really do. Man alive. I should host a podcast. You should. You I should. I swear. You should. But, like, this is an important time, though, yeah, too. Yeah, it really is. We, we, we can't forget about that. Um, you know, it, it's very easy. It, it was hot. It was humid today. Yep. But it's very easy to uh, kind of throw in the towel and say, ah, well, maybe I'll get around to it during uh, the fall or winter time. We can still do a ton of management uh, right yeah. now. Right. Yep. So appreciate it, guys. Yep. Thanks, Matt. Yep.